Welcome to A Shot in the Arm Podcast. My name is Yvette Raphael, and I am so happy and glad to host my friend and co-host Ben Plumley in Tembisa, Mall of Tembisa, South Africa. Uh, welcome, Ben. Thank you. And yes, I'm Ben Plumley. A Shot in the Arm podcast is a podcast about innovation and equity in global health. And in this podcast, Yvette, you and I are looking at, gosh, we've known each other really for 20 years. Yes, and how it's a long 20 it's years. A, well, yes, we were test tube babies at the time, obviously. Y- yes. But looking at how the response to AIDS, particularly in Africa and particularly on this World AIDS Day, how that has been transformed or not as the case may be. Yes, and, and, and how appropriate for your T-shirt as well, Ben. Congratulations. It's very pretty. Thank you. And a shout out to Posse for the T-shirt. So, so first, um, first up event, you and I met 20 years ago. I, I report it um, and describe it in Business Fights AIDS podcast. We were at a um, peer training session in Cape Town, and I was there with Ambassador Richard Holbrook. And you basically gave Richard Holbrook a tough time. Do you remember that? Yes, definitely. I think uh, my whole advocacy is around disruption. It's around making sure people really think about what they do, because this disease, this um, World AIDS Day events are really not just talk shops. It really should be something that we commit to make real change. And uh, yes, uh, I gave him a hard time, but look where we are. Yesterday we were at um, Mami Lodi looking at one of the peer education models. Long love those models and just seeing how successful that was. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was an MTV Staying Alive um, uh, uh uh, peer education session for these incredible young kids, young teenagers who, um, uh, it's always a pleasure to be with them. It's like a, a good shot of caffeine. It really is invigorating. Yes, yes. Um, so look, the last 20 years, how has it been for you? I mean, it's a bit of a naive question to ask, but this journey of the last 20 years, what are the things that really stand out to you? Uh, for me, what stands out is how far we've come how far we've come in HIV research, how far we've come as a people with this disease that looked such, like such doom and gloom, but just look at how people have not only embraced it, but how the research is also changing how people see it because now we have pre-exposure prophylaxis, post-exposure prophylaxis, we have long-acting drugs, we have long-acting uh, injectable HIV prevention. It's just crazy how the research has really, really advanced. And it shows that if we do more, we'll get to a point where we have a vaccine or a cure. Yeah, you see, you you have the optimism that I, I find it hard to share. So I'll be, I'll be the yin to your yang here. Yes. Um, I mean, for me, we had huge success in the first decade of this century, where through a range of efforts, including very much from yours, we were able to provide antiretroviral therapy at much lower costs, at much wider availability to populations across the developed world uh, and developing world, mm-hmm. and particularly here in South Africa. I mean, looking at the WHO and UNAIDS figures, you know, it looks like a good 75% of people living with HIV are now on treatment. Yes, and that that is... Uh 
very, very important for HIV prevention. We all know that. And it just shows that U equals U as a message is going places. Yeah. And a shout out to the Prevention Access Campaign for the U equals U. Yeah. Uh, but, but okay, and here's my other downer. Here's my other Debbie downer. Um, we thought we were creating at least some progress towards equity in services, equity in innovation. Um, and yet the COVID response showed us that actually we hadn't fundamentally changed the way that drugs, vaccines um, had been developed. And we had huge, um, uh, a, a huge disparity of access in um, in the in the developing world, um, you know, vaccine nationalism in the rich countries that really prevented widespread availability of of, of vaccines and drugs, um, and and that has been very sobering to me. So the the advances that we made in HIV, they didn't really become institutionalized in the way we deal with public health. Yes, but it also talks about, to my point around it, Ben, that COVID it was a very rich disease. It's, it's the rich auntie's kid, you know, and, and, and HIV has always been the poor auntie. But what it also shows is what, how racist the world still is. And I like the fact that the decolonization discussion is coming up, but it also just shows that COVID exposed white supremacy, racism, and just how the West is still running the world. And I, I know I had information way, way before, but the West brought out all of this um, HIV, uh, COVID medication even before it was made. How rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so almost like a taxi driver in South Africa, oh, just chipping in. Chipping in, in. yeah, in the little bockies coming in, in, into, into traffic. So for you, this journey over the last 20 years, I mean, you have moved from being a um, peer advocate, peer support staff in a company to being a global advocate, um, a, an internationally respected leader, and you also have now a very well-known fashion business through Posi. How, how has this journey been for you? you? You're talking about the fashion? All of it. Uh, no, no, Ben. That, uh, my fashion history is like just a realization. And it was brought to me by COVID. While everybody, Posi is a COVID baby, totally. But it's always been a dream of mine that listen, we need to have a look at how advocates really, really don't have a life after HIV. And when that stopped and everything looked like the world is coming to an end, I had to sit down and I was being myself. I was being creative. I realized that there's stuff that I want to do. I want, I feel good when women dress up nicely. I like to see advocates and activists. This is actually an activist brand, like literally, I mean, like everything, including this one that I'm wearing, which is talking about Prudence's passion for HIV, but it is basically it. Mm. It is just a brand born out of COVID, but 
an expression of my own creativity and my love for fashion. And I guess for me, fashion for you coming out of COVID, for me, it was really the podcasts. Who would have imagined 20 years ago that you and I would be doing this today? <clears throat> but but yeah, it's fun. And I think we, we're really, really enjoying it. And we're reaching our, our list, viewers, listeners with this very important messages and trying to decolonize you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a work in progress. Yes. So here we are in South Africa. How would you view the South African response over the last 20 years? Because it's a story of huge pain and tribulation, uh, but also a story of great achievement and resilience. Yes, obviously, the South African um, advocacy sphere, the advocates have done great work to get us where we are. HIV medication is available. HIV treatment is available. People are able to go to the clinic and express what they want. And we are in a better space with the type of drugs that we supply. South Africa is really just following the trends. We don't have many of those ARVs medication that got people worried. I will have big breasts, uh, Lipodystrophy? Yes, I would have lipodystrophy. We've come a long way. However, we are not at the end yet. Although it's possible that we will see an end to AIDS, but my biggest fear is that we might relax. And this period where the UN, uh, UN AIDS report talks about we are in danger, we are just in danger as a country to get relaxed and not keep this on top of the agenda. We need to make sure we leave no one behind. Yeah, that's, it, it's interesting that you raise UNAIDS because <clears throat> the danger report that was released in July indicated that we were not on track to meet the 2030 target, targets yeah. of ending HIV as a public health crisis. But um, I noticed, I watched uh, Winnie Biamina's um, uh, World AIDS Day statement on YouTube, actually, um, Winnie being the executive director of UNAIDS. And uh, I thought it was very powerful. I, I think it was a very clear call to action, particularly around the drivers of HIV and particularly things like gender-based violence. So I, I, I really appreciate that. And the that. structural reasons of why HIV is still thriving. And for me, that is poverty. And once we can do better at eliminating poverty, then we will see young people taking control of their lives. And actually, Ben, that is why POSI. It's because I want to leave a legacy where we understand health is wealth and wealth is health. If you are able to provide food for yourself, you're not in a vulnerable position as a young person. And for me, if we can have 20 branches of POSI across the country where young people like Mbalente work and provide for themselves and not depend on somebody to yeah. give them their bread on the table. I would be so happy. And, and that's a, a, a global call to action, I guess, as well. Now, Yvette, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you. Um, over the, in America, we call it the fall, but in the United Kingdom, and I guess in South Africa, we call it autumn. Mm -hmm. um, but the English writer, Kate Moss, um, started a campaign to highlight women leaders from all ranges of society, from all walks of life, um, who had had an impact in the world. All too often we think of the main drivers in history being men with the occasional extraordinary woman coming into the picture, but that's not true. And so I, I wanted to borrow Kate's 
um, campaign just for us right here now. And if you were to look at the AIDS response, who is there, a woman leader, alive or dead, that has really inspired and really transformed the response, do you think? Prudence Nobantumabele, my best friend, my great friend, she has passed on, may her soul rest in peace. Prudence was ahead of her times. As you can read on the t-shirt, she used to take on power. She used to take on whiteness. She used to take on men. And she was just a way ahead of the time. And we are in the response for HIV prevention for young girls and women because of Prudence. We look at the depovering ring. Prudence was at the heart, Ben, of making sure the idea of women in KZN to have an HIV prevention method that is controlled by women. And the agenda for HIV prevention, today we have the ring and we come from the microbicide world. We come from the gel world, something that she actually led. So for me, it will always be Prudence Mabele, the disruptor. She did not care where we are, but Prudence resonated with indigenous people across the world. And I think that is the one thing we miss about Prue. Yeah, yeah, we, we do very much and miss Prudence. She's the first woman to publicly disclose in South Africa that she had HIV. Mm. So we must not forget. And because of what she did, women like myself were able to, uh, you know, disclose our status without fear. Well, for me, um, the unsung women leader in the AIDS response is uh, Julia Cleves, the late Julia Cleves, who was a, uh, a British writer, development professional, and who, um, uh, who worked at UNAIDS. In fact, she preceded me as Peter's chief of staff. And what I loved about Julia was um, a really, how shall I put this, brutal honesty. She could strike terror into the heart of pharmaceutical executives. But she also had a, an incredible passion and humanity. And um, as we were navigating the, the strange waters of UNAIDS, she, she really had um, her heart and her, her mind and her soul for her fellow colleagues. And she had a huge impact on me. Not least, I think she was also ahead of her time in fighting the decolonialization or, or fighting to the colonialization agenda in HIV. And that's one thing I wanted us to talk about. We did a podcast at the International AIDS Conference um, in 2022 in Montreal, and we talked about um, the localization, decolonialization agenda, which is about bringing power and authority to communities and countries most affected rather than teleporting or transporting um, expertise from the West, from the North, into the response. So uh, since July, how, how much progress, I mean, it's going to be an, uh, a long-term process, but how much have we started to, to change the conversation, do you think? I think uh, the only way we can change that is if we really are intentional in making a change into the decolonization measures. Fuiseka Dubula, who is my friend, says it so carefully, minimum standards for funders, minimum standards for international organization, to say this is what you can and cannot do. I don't think you bring expertise, Ben. I just think you bring your own stuff. 
expertise are here. I just think whiteness and the North bring their own views, their own agendas into Africa, and very seldom is it the same as ours. I think where we're getting with the decolonization discussion right now is we are digging into what makes us do those things, right? And if we can get finances and money and power to Africa, for them, for us to make our own decisions, we would work well together with you. Yeah. And, and I think there is a responsibility on us in the North to check ourselves constantly to look at the, the values, the prejudices that we bring consciously or unconsciously, actually more, more accurately, I think it's unconscious biases mm. now, um, and, and how we unpack that. I mean, to my mind, no one is safe until everyone is safe. That's the mantra that has really driven me through COVID. And so it's not a, a, a conversation now that has to be between donor and beneficiary. I can't stand that word beneficiary, but yes. we're all in it together. We're all partners. And I think one of the things that I've really learned over the years is that the lessons from the communities that you work in, from here in Midrand, South Africa, are as relevant in the North in communities in the north as anything else as perhaps the antiretrovirals coming from mm. New Jersey down to down to Cape Town. Yeah. So look, one other question. Prevention. We haven't really seen a major reduction in new infections year on year. I mean, the UN and WHO have have pointed to some success and there's been a slight decline in the curves, but we really haven't broken the bank. Why do you think that is? We have not done that, Ben, because we are not able to get an HIV prevention method that suits young people. And currently young people are saying, give us the ring. But are we listening? Do we understand? Or do we continuously bring our own prejudice and our own views to it? Yes. Big, big, big news. Kabbalah was approved in South Africa yesterday, and we are happy and we're excited that Sapra made that move. However, when we do not have a box of options for women, we cannot even start to think we can make a dent, especially for young people. Young people have different needs and we need to make sure that we meet with them where they are at and giving them options for them to make a choice. Well, that is a very nice setup, Yvette, for the next part of the podcast. Yes. Because after the break, uh, we're going to hear your interview um, with one of your mentorees, um, Lolo Menti. Salisi, mentees. Yes. Lolo Saliso, who is the program officer at APA, and APA stands for again? Advocates for the Prevention of HIV in Africa. People would like to say AIDS, but it's actually in Africa. And in Isikosa, because we are in South Africa, it just means we are here. We were three young, naive advocates out of an AVEC fellowship. And we said, we're going to be here. We're going to make a change in HIV prevention research and how it is handled. And five, six years later, look where we are. Yeah, look where we are. We're in the Posi store. And if you can hear uh, background noises as we record this podcast, it is because we're in a busy shopping mall. Yes, and we are about to open in the next few minutes. So bear with us. We are in South Africa. We're in a shopping mall. And we'd really, really like for you to just 
have a feeling Ben out of the quietness I think sometimes we get so used to our own setup enjoy the vibe it is a vibe as you can see the mural behind us it's a vibe in South Africa it's a vibe in Tembisa in Tembisa now I, I, I mean I think the the picture behind us uh, could be misinterpreted if you were looking at this for those of us who are viewing the podcast but it is in fact of a young girl blowing a large bubble bubble out with of bubble, gum. bubble gum yes right well look after the break Yvette will be back with Lolo so yeah looking forward to that interview yes thank you and see you after the break everyone Alrighty, as promised we are back from the break and now we have Loiso Saliso some call her mini Yvette but I literally want to give it to Lola for her individuality, for her own radicalism, and for her own power. Loiso, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. We are very happy to have you. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Why HIV AIDS prevention? And why are you an activist, by the way? Yo, well, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good morning from across the world. I'm in South Africa, and it's good to be back in the seat of this podcast. Um, thank you so much for having me, Yvette. And um, about me, I am a radical activist. I think that's why people call me Mini Yvette or Mini Mamawini Mandela, because I'm unapologetic about fighting for 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 people's human rights. And um, well, about myself, I started off activism and, and being an advocate. I think back in 2012, 2013. But technically, I think I've always been an advocate since high school because I used to get in trouble for speaking up and like asking the hard questions. Why must we go outside? Why must this happen? And I became a headache at school. So I think I've always been an advocate at heart, but really applying it in terms of fighting for human rights was around 2012, 2013. I started in the gender-based violence and femicide um, field. And currently right now, I'm an inter I identify as an intersectional um, advocate because I understood as I grew and learned in this space that all our struggles actually intersect and we can't fight um, for GBVF without fighting for HIV prevention and AIDS and so forth. So, um, yeah, that's my journey in a nutshell. <laughs> all right, Lola, so with HIV AIDS uh, prevention advocacy, you started off as a ground force at uh, Apart. Do you want to share a little bit about that journey? There's a method to this. I want to get to where we actually want to go, which is young people's leadership. But tell me, just give us a brief about your journey as a as a um, ground force. Okay, so my becoming a ground force, I met Yvette on Facebook. <laughs> she always says, when I picked you up on Facebook, and she found me on Facebook advocating on social media, and she reached out and said, I really like you. You're quite feisty and fierce. Um, and then later on, I came to Johannesburg um, to start the total shutdown, the, the movement, the march against GBB. So from there, I joined UPA. I became an UPA ground force. Uh, and my heart is in the community. I think every activist and advocate's heart is in the community. So doing so much community work, that's where I really broadened my, my, my skills and, and my, and got more tools and how to advocate and how to even engage community. But also being an upper ground force opened up so many doors for me. Um, one thing about APA is that, and the program that they have for mentorship is that 
they allow young people to go into rooms and spaces, you know, and go and advocate in those spaces and and network and meet people and learn from 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 those who came before us how these things are done. And so, um, you know, from there I became a proper upper advocate, and we moved. I think for two years or three years I was an upper ground force, and then from there I joined the upper team officially, and became an upper administrator, but also still doing community work around upper. And currently I'm sitting as an upper projects officer, and still also the coordinator of the uh, ground forces cohort. And if that is not growth, I don't know what else. I forgot is. one more thing though. So there's POSI and there's um, fem, fem Entrepreneur, which is Feminist Entrepreneurship. And so this being my mentor, she started POSI during lockdown and we were not discussing this at all. And I went on and I started this brand, which is called Unapologetic Wear, an advocacy um, um, line. And so I'm really learning more than just advocating, but also how do we self-sustain as advocates? How do we also ensure that our work and our words actually is advocated in what we're wearing. Yes, and I totally love the fact that you take snippets of very powerful advocates and you put it on a T-shirt and I can wear it. Um, Lolo, I want to challenge you right now and tell us about what young people can do to actually take this fight forward. Because as you know, me and Mama Lillian say, there's nothing you can inherit from us. We don't have no baton to give over. And some people say this is cruel. But what do you think activists, young female women's advocates and activists can do to take this forward without expecting an inheritance of something to take forward? I think you saying that there is no inheritance um I, I would love to differ with that because I think historically we've always inherited something, be it from slavery up until now. We've always in, inherited something from people who fought before us and who came before us. And I think that inheritance is inheriting uh, the best practices from previous times. Um, um, it's inheriting, you know, your wisdom and 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 the work that you've done looking at that analyzing that and listening to the tips that you give us and the ideas that you give us but i think right now with young advocates and 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 those who came before us um it's really important for us there's a huge gap and i feel it's very important that right now we find ways and means in which we can actually um you know, bring that gap and close that gap off between the young and the old. It's very important right now. Coming from COVID-19, I think we have a lot to do, a uh, lot of work to do in terms of going back to the drawing board and re-strategizing how do we advocate moving forward uh, because some things are no longer working right now. And so I really feel that um, young people need to listen to the older people, to the older advocates, hear how they're doing things, take that wisdom. But you guys actually listen, Lola, I want to cut you off there. You guys know it all. And we are just so looking forward to listening to you. Yes, but here's the thing. I want us to listen to your wisdom and listen to your experiences because we come, on, I'm no longer young as well, <laughs> but young people, young advocates come with more fire, with more innovative ideas, with with more eagerness, you know, and that more energy. And so if we can put those things together, you know, we could create something. And uh, and for all, for everything that we fight for, unity is the most important thing. And I think the, the unity between the older advocates and the young advocates is very important. We need to bridge that gap one way or the other. Yes, and that can only happen if we continuously have these conversations, yes. but also not just conversations, 
And I'm passionate about mentorship. And uh, you always say to me, but Auntie, you can't solve. She calls me Auntie when nobody's watching. But (laughs) (laughs) Auntie, you can't solve the world's problems. But it's important that when we say we mentor young people, Mm. we know it's not a once-off. It's something that you continuously have to be there. And for me, it is also, you say you're not that young anymore, but for me, you are a younger person because there is... So I'm expecting you also to start mentoring young people. And the ground force is one of those things. But how do you integrate? How do you integrate what you've learned from older advocates about mentorship and being there for other women? So funny enough, this week I posted, I think, a picture of us at the Matrix Consultants with two of the ground forces. And I wrote something at the end of it that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, what people don't know is that I'm a mentee who's also a mentor. And this is actually me living what I've manifested of us paying it forward and not just it ending with us. Mm. And so I think that with me being the coordinator, for example, of the ground forces, I'm taking what you have taught me. I'm still taking things that you teach me today and applying them with the young people, but also giving them that room. I think it's so important that they have more room and more space to talk, to share, to say, okay, I hear you here, but I think maybe if we do A, B, C, and D, that's how we are also learning from those young people. So it's a, it's a learn, learn, um, um, program from both ends. But for me, I take it from the older, I think I'm caught up in the middle, actually. So I take it from the older advocates, take it to the young people. But I think it's important that we actually listen to young people because they have so many good things to say. Thank you so much, Lola. And as we wait for my co-host to come back um, after the break, we're going to just close everyone out because this is World AIDS Day. Very exciting. And thanks for getting me a gift. It's important (laughs) that people give gifts to people who have for this fight in a long time. Thank you in advance. And after the break, we'll be joined by Ben again. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what a World AIDS Day, Yvette. A really great episode, I think. Really loved the conversation between you and Lolo. Last thoughts as we, you know, celebrate World AIDS Day around the world. I think for me, Ben, is that we need to see an end to AIDS. We need to see an end to new HIV infections. And I think if we are just committed enough, we will get there. Uh, I need our governments, especially my own government, to invest in HIV prevention research, but also to trust the science and to make sure we give young people options so that they can make a choice for their own HIV prevention. And thanks for being in my country, my humble abode, my space, the Casico Lab in Mall of Tembisa. It's been a real pleasure being here. Um, and we apologize, obviously, for disrupting uh, your your fellow shop owners. But, uh, well, that's it for this episode. We hope you have a thoughtful but joyous World AIDS Day. There's a lot for us to do, but a lot we can do. Thanks to... Eric Espera, our producer and director from Newsdoc Media. And thanks also to you. Remember, you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms and on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to give us five stars. Well, have a great week and a safe week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>